Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Industry Cloud Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's cloud strategy and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the game changers in the cloud, you're absolutely in the right place. Today's buzz, you can bank on it, or let me flip that around. You can take it to the bank. Let me get started. Digital technology is changing the banking industry. It's undeniable, indefatigable. It's a fact of life. How? It's influencing the ways we bank and what we expect from our banks. Maybe even more important than that, it's turning money into the ultimate digital service. We're going to find out a lot about that during the show. How are banks going to succeed today? They need an innovative digital strategy that supports omni-channel. That's as many channels as we want to use to find them. They've got to attract and keep profitable customers. A couple of operative words in there, attract and keep, and maybe the keyword is profitable, while thwarting and battling off traditional as well as non-traditional competitors. Everybody wants to be in the money business today. Why not? Maybe they're some gold in them, our hills. I have a panel of three experts who are going to speak with us about digital banking comes of age. You're going to learn a lot, whether you're in the financial services industry or you're just a consumer who has a bank account somewhere, any way you choose. So let's get started. First up on the panel is Lickett Wagle. I think I have his last name right. He's a partner and the global industry leader for banking and financial markets in IBM's Global Business Services. And here is a quote Lickett sent me from Daniel Boer. Who is, um, those of you might remember, he's an American historian at the University of Chicago writing on American history and world history. And he was appointed the 12th librarian of the U.S. Congress in 1975 and served till 87. Here's the quote The greatest enemy of knowledge is not ignorance, it is the illusion of knowledge. Very powerful quote. Lickett, welcome. How are you today? I'm great, Bonnie, and it's fantastic to be on the show. Thanks for inviting well, me on. thanks for your enthusiasm. Now, you picked an interesting Borston quote. Why don't you relate it to our topic of digital technology and banks? Well, I, th- I think a couple of reasons, uh, uh, Bonnie, and, and I wanted to pick on, 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 on both aspects of the quote, uh, which is this, this illusion of knowledge and also the, the kind of greatest enemy. So I think, I think if I start with illusion of knowledge first, I think until very recently, the, the banking industry uh, has very much, notwithstanding the financial crisis, has, has very much been within the mindset of knowing how to do it, that they've been in providing banking services to their customers uh, for many years. They've had to make certain changes, but the view you know, amongst CEOs in the industry has been they really know how to do it. They know how to provide customer service. They know how to provide what their uh, customers require. And I think that's the illusion of knowledge because there's no question uh, in my mind and, and also in a number of other commentators that you know, the industry really until very recently has been in, has been in denial, that you know, digital is completely changing the face of banking. We're moving from uh, you know, banks as, as something you do as, some, as, as opposed to somewhere you go. And, and, and therefore, that's the first aspect of the quote, that, you know, it's, it's an illusion of knowledge. People, you know, people in the industry think they know what they're doing. They've been in, in, in denial. I think the other reason why this quote really also appealed to me as well is that this, this really is the greatest enemy, because I think if we look at 
you know, in our lifetimes, the digital age probably for banking is certainly presenting uh, the greatest disruption uh, that, that there has been. And, and I think now, you know, you're certainly starting steadily to find as you speak to CEOs in the industry that the thing that's actually keep it, keeping them awake at night is not so much competition from uh, their peer companies. It's not so much what the uh, regulators are going to do, though that's certainly creating a certain amount of mm-hmm. uncertainty. What they're very, very worried about is the competition that they're facing from companies that they would never, ever have imagined they would be competing with. And these are, these are not only you know, the, the digital companies that we've talked about before, like, like the PayPals and the Amazons of this world. They're now competing with people like Alibaba, which, which has become very, very potent, coming out very fast out of China now. They're also competing with a whole plethora of financial startup companies in, in uh, Silicon Valley. So I'll leave you, Bonnie, with another thought here, which is more and more people now are starting to think about banking as really a technology play, that, and, a, and a number of startups are thinking about this as ultimately what banking comes down to is, is, is a technology capability that's kind of lending money. And I think that's a completely different way at, at looking at this industry and what it does. Thank you, Lickett. Very good overview to our topic. Uh, Something we will cover later, I hope, is the underbanked, the unbanked, talking about it from a global perspective, not only new, unheard of until recent years, competitors wanting to have a piece of that pie, a piece of those dollars or whatever country's monetary system you're using, but new populations that need to have banking services that will be totally digital in many cases. So thank you very much, Lickett. Good overview. You love the quote, and thanks for pulling it apart for us. That's what we love to do here on Game Changers Radio, and welcome to you. Let me bring on our second panelist. She's Penny Crossman. I'll spell that in case you want to look her up, (laughs) C-R-O-S-M-A-N. She's the editor-in-chief of Bank Technology News and the tech editor of American Banker. And Penny sent me a very interesting quote from Marcus Aurelius, if you're scratching your head. No, he wasn't on American Idol last week. He lived from 121 A.D. to 180. He was a Roman. Emperor. He ruled with Lucius Verus as co-emperor until Verus's death in 169, and he was the last of the five good emperors and considered one of the most important Stoic philosophers. More information than Penny ever wanted me to present on the radio. Here's the quote. A noble man compares and estimates himself by an idea which is higher than himself, and a mean man by one lower than himself. The one produces aspiration, the other ambition, which is the way in which a vulgar man aspires. We've got a mean man here, Penny. We've got a vulgar man. We have a noble man. We've just populated a waiting line on a bank. Welcome, Penny Crossman. How are you? Good. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Bonnie, so much for, for having me on the show and for queuing that up. Um, <laughs> yes, and Marcus Aurelius is, is one of my favorite um, historic figures. Um, as you said, he was a Stoic philosopher as well as an emperor. And uh, his meditations, I think, is, is, is I've just found incredibly inspiring, you know, in my in my personal and work life. And, uh, you know, I chose that because I feel that in in life, in most areas in life, but including uh, this area of, of digital banking, you know, looking around at what other people are doing, you know, and comparing ourselves or trying to keep up with somebody else. Is, is not the way to bring out the best in ourselves, to bring out the best ideas, to bring out the best, um, you know, types of innovation. It's, it's when we strive for some much higher ideal that we actually, you know, achieve something 
That's really good. Um, an, an example that I that comes to my mind is um, USAA, which is a financial services firm that serves mostly military members. And mm-hmm. I've been talking to them a lot lately about different things. But one of the things they believe is they're really trying to make their members' lives better. So they'll actually, you know, kind of study what someone's life like, what life is like when they are stationed in Afghanistan or stationed in Iraq. And, you know, maybe they only have 15 minutes to use a live phone line, or maybe they only have uh, 20 minutes a week to um, use a computer. So they want to make their digital banking as fast and efficient as they possibly can. So they'll do things like let you identify yourself with a fingerprint or would just speak a spoken um, phrase. And if you have a question, they'll actually send all your information straight to the customer service rep. So instead of having the customer service rep ask you who you are and what you want, you know, all that information is sent directly. So that's just one example um, of how, you know, just having something higher in mind can um, help us help any company kind of leapfrog over, you know, the current status quo. Um, that said, I definitely agree with uh, Lickett's comments before that banks are facing, um, you know, almost unheard of competition from, um, you know, a really wide range of, of companies and some of them you could call fintech companies, you know, companies like Lending Club and Venmo and mm-hmm. and um, SoFi and, um you know, especially in this country, I think a lot of the banks are finding themselves kind of uh, being disintermediated and, and being pushed aside a little bit by some of these um, high-tech newcomers. So that that is part of the um, of what's forcing them to uh, really step up their game and and offer uh, offer solutions that are comparable to some of the the very best um, uh, technology out there. Thank you, Penny. Very interesting perspectives you brought up. USAA, by the way, is big on uh, TV ads recently. On I'm mm-hmm. in New York, and I see it on major network TV all the time, and they show, uh, just as an example, they show young children saying, I'm a USAA member through my thank you to my father, my grandfather, my mother, showing the lineage of the uh, armed ser- services in the family. Very interesting ads. But to your point, Penny, the last thing we think of when we think of banks is a higher purpose. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, ha- I'm happy to see that digital banking comes of age, and maybe maybe we ought to change the title of this episode here on Industry Cloud Trends with Game Changers Radio to Digital Banking Comes of Age and Brings um, a Mindful moral, moral Purpose to the Financial <laughs> Services Industry. Do you think we could go that far, Penny? <laughs> that might be going a little bit far. <laughs> I think your okay. is somewhat uh, appropriate. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Reality Check, I appreciate it. Thank you also for great introduction, and I love the quote as well. Let's bring on our third panelist. He is Davor Ebling. He is a global director at SAP Omnichannel Banking Solutions, so he's perfect for this topic. And Davor has sent me a quote from Oscar Wilde, who lived from 1854 to 1900, obviously way too short, Irish author, playwright, and poet. Uh, he wrote in different forms throughout the 1880s and became one of London's most popular playwrights. He's remembered for his epigrams and his novel, The Picture of Dorian Gray, as well as other works of writing. And here's the quote from Oscar Wilde. I have simplest tastes. I'm always satisfied with the best. Wow, I love that. Davor Evelyn, great quote. Welcome to the show. How are you today, Davor? 
Thank you, Bonnie. I'm doing great, and uh, I'm happy to be here today. Thank you. Talk to me. <laughs> well, you know, I think that these days customers really have a choice in terms of where they bring their banking relationship. And um, obviously, given the fact that they can find all of the information about different products that the banks offer, they clearly want the best service, the best online and mobile offering. They also want to have the product portfolio that targets their specific financial needs. So it's very simple at the end of the day. Where do I bank when I'm choosing my bank? Um, I want all of that to be provided to me by my bank. So at the same time, we also know, looking at some of the research uh, that we have done internally at SAP, we know that one in six customers would change banks if they didn't provide them with um, a pretty powerful mobile experience. So that's almost 20% if you really think about it. And if you take a large bank, for example, that maybe has 60 million online customers, assuming that 10% perhaps of those would be using, or 20% in some cases would be using mobile offering as well, all of a sudden you're talking um, 12 million customers that are mobile. Some of them are mobile only, obviously. And some of these customers, basically 20%, let's say two to three million customers are willing to consider changing the bank. So that's pretty staggering when you think about that's kind of a high number of customers moving their banking relationship elsewhere. And at the end of the day, they want to bank where they want, how they want, um, on any channel or at any time. And if you kind of think about, well, you can say it's not that easy to move banks these days. Well, in some countries, there are government regulations that mandate that banks make it easy and simple for customers to uh, move their banking relationships elsewhere. So in my opinion, and the reason I chose the quote is that banks really, uh, customers really not only expect, but they demand that they be provided with um, with a consistent channel optimized customer experience, with exceptional service, with exceptional product portfolio. I want my bank really to know me. And if I don't adapt to that, I risk losing customers. And um, obviously, that's the last thing banks will Thank you, Davar. Good insights. While you were speaking, I was remembering the good old days. I don't know if anybody on the panel is in my age group. I'm a uh, not a leading edge, but an early baby boomer. And uh, I remember the days when you chose your bank based on the free toaster they gave you when you became a customer. Anybody remember that? Penny, you probably read about that when you were a child, I'm sure. And uh, I remember they would offer you uh, free checking or they would reduce the fees. This was way before ATMs, of course, way before digital banking. So it was a question of what are you going to do for me now? Do I want the toaster? Do I want the handheld blender? Do I want something for my kitchen? And that was those those weren't jokes. Banks were offering new customers things, uh, appliances, things to make our lives easier. Certainly has changed. So Davor, my question to you is: When people look to change banks, uh, forget about the countries where there are rules and regulations about where what what you can do, where you can go. Uh, what are they looking for today? They're looking for great experience. They're not looking for toaster or free checkbooks anymore, is there something that stands out on the premium side that makes people say, yes, that's it, would it be Sunday hours? Any thoughts on that, Dever? Well, I'm not sure if it's necessarily Sunday hours, but I know some banks are obviously doing that, uh, as you alluded to in your previous shows, and you even mentioned that there was uh, a bank in um, somewhere in New York that does actually exactly that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, they are changing how they're approaching it, specifically in the branch, for example. Some of them are like IMG here in San Francisco, where I'm based. They offer, uh, they have like a cafe where you can go in and you can sip your little latte while, uh, mm-hmm. while doing your banking transactions. But I really think that um, creating a, a really comprehensive and channel-optimized, omni-channel banking experience where my bank basically follows me where I am, where I go, and what I do is what the customers are expecting these days. And especially given, if you start looking at the millennials, uh, my daughter is 16, actually it's her birthday today. She grew Happy up. Happy birthday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> thank you. She grew up with an iPhone, and I just don't really see her going to the branch to do her banking um, in several years, right? So she's going to be expecting that she can use her mobile device, her tablet, her social networking, and, and, and whatnot to be able to, to bank. And I think that what, what the customers are really looking at the end of the day, a comprehensive, consistent, channel-optimized, channel-specific mm-hmm. experience that follows me and helps me manage my financial uh, life much easier. Thank you, Dever. Thanks for indulging my question. We're going to circle back to Lickett Woggle, and I'm going to ask you the probably the hardest thing you're going to have to think about today on the entire show, Lickett, is what is in your cup today? What are you drinking right now, or what do you plan to drink after the show? And in case you think I'm crazy, Industry Cloud Trends with Game Changers is part of our bigger, I call it a franchise, of SAP Game Changers radio shows that all come down from the big daddy of them all, Coffee Break with Game Changers. So I always ask our panelists, what are you drinking? Coffee, tea, water, juice, soda, milk, beer, wine, anything. We wanted to get to know a little bit more about you. So look at what are you drinking right now or planning to drink after the show? Hey, hey, Bonnie, that, that is a great question and pretty difficult. But, uh, but what I'm drinking actually is some, in fact, it's not coffee. It's Japanese green tea, and it's kind of fragrant and it's steaming. And, and the reason why I really like this is that it kind of calms me down. It's what I generally tend to have, you know, first thing in the morning, um, usually, you know, at the crack of dawn when everything's kind of very quiet before the kind of hurly-burly of the day gets away. So I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying that and also this, road, uh, this, this radio show, Bonnie. Well, thank you very much. Do you put anything in your Japanese green tea, any mint or any sweetener or any milk or cream, anything, uh, any accessories? So, so sometimes a bit of mint, actually, just to give that a little bit more, uh, you know, to give it a little bit more buzz. But certainly not, 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 not kind of adulterating it with any kind of milk or sweetener or anything like that. I just love it as it comes. Thank you. Very descriptive. Sure. Appreciate that. Penny Crossman, what are you drinking or planning to drink? Talk to me. Well, I wish I was drinking a gin and tonic. Oh, that's my favorite summer drink. Um, I am drinking actually a glass of water in my source media cup because I am at work. Um, but my my current favorite uh, beverage story, it's, it's not really a story of mine. I hope that's okay. But a friend of mine mm-hmm. was sure. on a uh, job interview recently, and um, some of the, the her potential new employers took her out to lunch. And the waiter came and took everybody's drink order, and the person next to her ordered a glass of wine. So she said, I'll have the same. But she didn't realize that somebody else had ordered a double martini in between. So when her drink came, it was the double martini. And she didn't say anything. She drank the whole thing. Um, And then when she got up to use the restroom, she could barely stand up. So she, she was just hoping that there'd be enough objects she could hold on to between her seat and the restroom and back to not fall down. And um, she actually doesn't remember how she got home that day, 
but she got the job. And later she found out that the person who ordered the double martini, when he heard her say, I'll have the same, thought, yes, and was uh, really excited. And that was part of, um, I think, part of why she got the job. So I really like that story. Wow, that's some story. She was some party lady. Can you imagine a double martini and draining it and having to walk anywhere even to get your coat and go home? I hope somebody was driving her home. Great story about what it takes to get a job. Seriously, it's a a reality check in the trenches. Thank you for sharing that, Penny. By the way, does she have to drink double martinis every time they go for business lunches? I don't think I want to know. Uh, No. Oh, thank goodness gracious. Great story. You know, she was was really being a team player in the in. The most ultimate kind of way. Yes, life-changing perhaps. Thank you for sharing. And and I'm glad you're drinking water because that's all they let me drink on radio show days. What can I tell you? No caffeine for me. Davor Ebling, what are you drinking? I'm not going to ask you to top those two stories, but you can try. (laughs) Well, I don't think I can can top that. But um, actually, well, pretty boring. I'm just drinking regular black coffee um, from, um, I guess it's a small chain here in San Francisco called Phil's Coffee. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, nothing, it's, pretty, it's only 9 a.m. here in, uh, in San Francisco today. But what I did drink uh, in terms of coffee, I just returned from Egypt on uh, Thursday last week. And when we were there, I ordered Turkish coffee, which, as you know, is the coffee that you make in a really small, it's called Jezva, mm-hmm. which is essentially mm-hmm. that um, small kind of utensil to cook it. So... What I really found interesting is that they added, when I first tried it, I was like, huh, that's an interesting flavor. It's very different than the Turkish coffee that that I used to drink. And they actually put um, cardamom powder in the coffee, which kind of creates this really interesting flavor that both my colleague and I, we were like, huh, what the heck is that? So it took us a while to figure it out. But um, yeah, right now, just regular coffee. Very interesting. Cardamom certainly has a very distinctive uh, flavor. I was introduced to it many, 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 many decades ago. I wanted to bake a Swedish coffee cake, and it called for cardamom to be sprinkled on top. I overbaked it. It caused a fire in my oven, and all the fire trucks came and banged on the door. What's going on in here? So I fondly remember my introduction to cardamom because it was used to flavor the coffee cake that almost burned the apartment building down. But I digress. Thank you very much, Davor. I appreciate that. It's time for us to take our first break. What an interesting panel. I'm speaking today with Lickett Woggle from uh, IBM Global Business Services, Penny Crossman, the editor-in-chief of Bank Technology News and tech editor of American Banker, which I know has been around a long time. I used to work in the banking industry and marketing, and I remember reading that magazine. And Davor Ebling, Global Director of SAP Omnichannel Banking Solutions. Great panel. And we're talking today about digital banking comes of age. Already covered a lot of bandwidth on this topic. A lot more coming. When we come back, Lickett Woggle will have the honor of introducing the roundtable with me. I'm looking at his discussion notes here, and we're going to pick some interesting topics to kick off a 30-minute nonstop roundtable. So to my listeners, don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. We'll be right back, and I will still be Bonnie D. Graham after the break. I promise you that. Brad out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. SAP, co-innovating alongside customers, is taking its industry-specific solutions into the cloud. Join us to learn how to make the world run simpler in the cloud without missing a beat. It's a tall order. 
Industry Cloud Trends with Game Changers brings together the people who are making it happen. We'll delve into very specific industry challenges and also solutions that run across disparate industries, all to help you succeed in your mission. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Industry Cloud Trends with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Industry Cloud Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show using Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Industry Cloud Trends with Game Changers. And here we are, and we're ready to start our roundtable. Lickett Waggle at IBM Global Business Services is going to help me start the roundtable. Lickett, I'm looking at your notes you sent before the show, and I mentioned in my opening I was wondering about the unbanked, underbanked, underserved banking potential customers, and I have an interesting quote here from you. Let me read this, and then you can run with it, and then we'll invite your other co-panelists to talk about it. You say, according to McKinsey, the number of potential digital banking consumers in Asia – could rise from 670 million, that's right, 670 million, to approximately 1.7 billion by the year 2020. And that was a report published in, in uh, August 2014 in the McKinsey Quarterly. So why don't you talk to us about that a little bit, Lickett, and then we'll have Penny and Davor chime in. Go ahead. Yeah, Mr. So, so Bonnie, uh, I mean, I think there are there are a couple of uh, angles to this. Yeah, I mean, I think I think one side of it is what you just mentioned, which is very much around the unbanked. And and to just give you an example, that that really supports what was said in that particular in that particular quote. If if you look at in in India, where the government's been making a very concerted effort to get the uh, unbanked, the underbanked into the banking system. One of the things that they've been doing is they've come out with an identity card uh, system, and that identity card, uh, you know, has been provided to you know pretty much everybody in the country. And then, when the new government came on board about 12 months or so ago, what that new government's been doing is really encouraging the banks to to add to that identity card with providing these um, you know prepaid cards that would enable. Uh, those banks to bring these uh, unbanked people into the banking system. Their, their original objective was that they would get uh, something like a million of these cards, a million of these cards out to the unbanked, you know, over a period of about uh, nine to 12 months. They've completely blown those targets away. Yeah, there are about 10 million of these things that have now been issued. All of these, all of these people are now in in the banking system. And what's really cool is not only are they in the banking system in terms of having a bank account, but in addition to that, each one of those uh, cards has been attached, you know, with an insurance product as well. So they're getting used to, you know, buying. Um, I mean, clearly the first piece of insurance that's been provided to them was an incentive to open the bank account, but it's kind of getting them into. A, a, a much more sophisticated understanding of what they should be doing as far as financial planning is concerned. And this is, this is for the unbanked and the underbanked. Now, the reason why the government is driving that very hard is because they want to make sure that any of the subsidy payments that they're actually making to, to these folks actually gets made to them through the banking system so nothing is lost, as it were, from the government to the, to the final recipient. And it's making 
making a big difference. That's at one end of the scale. Yeah, that's at the bottom end of the economic spectrum. But if I give you an, another example, which is at the other end mm -hmm. of the economic spectrum, what people don't realize is that there are 200, and, and I'm not joking here, 250 million people in India that have the same purchasing power as the high net worth individuals in Europe and the U.S. So this is 250 million people. Now, mm -hmm. those 250 million people are looking for wealth management, financial, service, financial planning type of services, which, you know, folks in the West take as normal. Now, you're not going to be able to, if you're, a, if you're a banking company in this part of the world, you're not going to be able to go after 250 million people with a traditional banking model with relationship bankers that are going to cover these people and provide them with financial advice. There just aren't enough financial advisors available in the world to be able to go after that volume of business. And therefore, what's becoming an absolute imperative for the banking industry is to be able to access that customer base, provide the financial advice and the service that that customer base is looking for through digital means. And, and, and that is absolutely possible. So if I kind of take a step back, you know, notwithstanding all of the pressures in the banking industry, all of the pressures for regulation, capital, and everything else, I mean, personally, and, and also from a corporate perspective, we have a very bullish view of the growth prospects for the industry. But that growth is going to come uh, from completely new customers wanting completely new services. And I think the way to get to that particular, those, those particular profit pools is through these digital, through these kind of digital means. So I think it's very exciting out there, but going to require the banks to operate very differently from what they were doing before. Thank you. That calls for innovation. Penny Crossman, thoughts? I'm looking at your notes and I see something about uh, digital banking onboarding takes too long and is clumsy. So you want to address what uh, Lickett has just shared with us? Uh, sure. Well, I was just thinking as he was talking that, um, you know, we, we have sort of a somewhat similar dynamic in this country where about a third of the uh, population is underbanked. Um, I guess technically about 20 percent are underbanked and 7% are unbanked, um, so the, that description is um, based on, like, how much people actually use banking services. Um, and there, there are some efforts underway to serve those people in this country as well. And, and um, part of it is, to, and which relates to the onboarding, is that, um, you know, most of those um, consumers do have smartphones. So um, that is a really uh, simple way of helping them access financial services. And, you know, the, the poster child for the underbanked globally, I think, is, is the uh, Safaricom M-Pesa project in Kenya, which started several years ago. But it made, um, it made banking and, and uh, simple payments possible for millions of, of people living in Kenya where, um, you know, there were tiny villages where there was no um, – financial incentive for anybody to put a, a bank branch there, but the little um, bodegas were able to um, work with Safaricom, which was their big telecom provider, and um, let people load money on and off of their phones, so in a way they could do their banking that way. And, and I feel like in this country, we're starting to see a similar dynamic where we're seeing companies like T-Mobile offer uh, some similar services where they're, offer they're letting people have a sort of a checking account um, accessible on their phone. Um, they're letting them, uh, they're making like small loans, especially to buy a new phone um, from their phones. Um, we're also seeing uh, companies like Walmart 
uh, Walmart has like a GoBank account. They're actually selling, Walmart is actually selling checking accounts on their shelves. Um, and I don't know if they're on the shelf today, but they will be very shortly. Um, so we're seeing these sort of grassroots attempts to reach people who, you know, just traditionally don't um, go to a bank. And, and uh, you know, some of these people, they just live in communities where there, there just isn't a bank branch and they're mostly um, check cashers. And the check mm-hmm. cashers obviously gouge people. They'll charge, you know, up to 100% interest on a loan, a short-term loan, and then revolve that loan. So the person ends up paying 400% interest on oh, a small loan gosh. just because they can't pay it back, you know, within the, the very short, you know, two-week mm-hmm. term that they're given to, to pay it. So, morally short. you know, I think mm-hmm. that interesting dynamics in this country as well. Thank you, Penny. Very, very interesting. I was saying that it's, uh, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I was thinking that it's in a morally short amount of time. I'm just amazed at the amount of people who want to be part of digital banking today. I can't imagine uh, even bodegas and people in, in Kenya and in Asia who know very little about the digital world saying, yes, sign me up. And according to Lickett, they're signing up by the by the millions, by the billions. So there must be something, I hesitate to use the word sexy, but there must be something very compelling about becoming part of the modern world. Davra Ebling, I want to get your thoughts on the topics that have already been discussed uh, that Lickett started a few minutes ago and Penny added to. Uh, absolutely. Uh, so, well, this topic is extremely close to my heart, and I think it's, in a way, Penny mentioned uh, higher purpose for banks. And I think uh, when we're talking about financial inclusion and banking the unbanked, we are actually talking about banks creating a higher purpose. Um, just to build upon what Likit said, uh, in India, for example, Adhar, I believe that's the name of it, right, Likit? Um, Adhar ID. That's is right, yeah, that's driven. the identity card, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we know um, at SAP that there are huge developments underway um, to launch these types of services, um, to offer financial products to the unbanked, and also mentioning M-Pesa in Kenya and Safaricom. Safaricom is obviously a telco, so clearly not only banks are playing in that space, there are also um, telco providers who either have a banking license or are owned part, part by a bank or the other way around, who are launching these types of services and literally creating financial inclusion for the customers that would normally not either qualify for the bank account or don't trust banks or are afraid of different fees that they would have to pay. So we see that there there are a lot of developments globally. And if you kind of take into account the fact that there is two and a half billion adults currently without access to financial services, these type of solutions really can impact people's lives and change how they behave. And then from a bank's perspective, you can turn those customers into bank customers later on, and you can provide them with more complex products and services. So I I personally believe that this is one of the areas that we need to be focusing on a little bit more exclusively. Clearly, in these situations, banks typically work with a network of agents, whether it's because of the geography, um, in which they're operating. So if you take, for example, Indonesia, Indonesia has almost 14,000 islands. So if you're a bank operating in Indonesia, how do you even think about opening a branch or an ATM on every single one of these islands? It's almost impossible. But if you're working through the network of agents who can actually onboard customers 
into the system, then all of a sudden you can increase your footprint, you can increase the number of deposits, and um, essentially provide banking services. The other part that I would also like to mention is when we, when we talk about mobile money and banking the unbanked, what we're to- typically focusing on is merchant, person-to-person transfers, international remittances, which in Southeast Asia, for example, are extremely important because people are sending money back home, migrant workers from, let's say, Dubai sending money to Pakistan. Um, you can also enable merchant payments. You can do bill payments integration so that you can pay your bills. Uh, you can apply for micro uh, micro loans, for instance. We're um, working in Mexico with um, a large company that's offering exactly that. But on top of that, you can also provide government-to-person payments and person-to-government payments, including humanitarian aid uh, distribution through the mobile and one last thing, I know I'm probably going a little bit too long. That's okay. Is it, I wanted to say that at the end of the day, if you kind of think about these services and you think about unbanked people in Africa or in Southeast Asia or in, in the developing world, these solutions work on any type of a mobile device. So you don't have to have a fancy smartphone to be able to access your financial um, transaction or perform financial transactions. This works via USSD. It works um, on any type of a mobile phone, which is exactly what these people have in those um, those geographies. And at the same time, Safaricom, one last point that, that Penny brought up. I actually met with them back in November, I believe, and they shared some interesting statistics. M-Pesa is the most, the highest revenue generating business that they run. And if you think about Safaricom being actually a telco, you would think that they make money on data that they generate revenue on voice on SMS. No, it's M-Pesa. And everybody in Kenya, whether you're banked or unbanked, has an M-Pesa account. Thank you. Very, very good so, points. So, so, Bonnie, if, if I may yes. just kind of interject, Please. interject can, I, can I add a, add a couple of things? Yeah, I mean, I, I think of course. The, I think the comment um, that was just made about M-Pesa is, is very interesting. Yeah, and, 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 and I think... The comment I would make, though, is you can, you can see the evolution that has taken place in in in, in what's happening uh, with digital banking because Mpesa was very successful and it's highly profitable, but it's been highly profitable in a country where there really is no uh, banking infrastructure at all. Yeah, when, when you get into countries that are slightly more developed than that, where there is a banking infrastructure, then uh, consumers are, are looking for something which is significantly ahead of what M-Pesa is being able to offer. And I think that is where some of these other companies, some of the, some of the uh, FinStart companies that have been born in the cloud, are really, are really um, taking very significant market share, taking very significant market share away from the banks. And I'd, and I'd kind of put two things out there. I mean, I think, I think the first one is part of what we were talking about at the outset of this discussion, you know, which is, I think at the heart of this, what actually is really important is truly understanding what it is that the customer wants and being mm-hmm. able to provide that to, to the customer, really understanding the customer's needs. And where this has, I think, become very complex, and I think the Internet companies, the digital companies do it very well, is that it's no longer possible to understand that customer requirement due, through doing broad segmentation that's based on behavior or demographics. What's becoming increasingly necessary is, is to be able to segment down to a customer of one and understand that specific customer's requirements because both 
you know, customers who might have exactly the same demographic profiles these days tend to have very different requirements. And if you don't meet those requirements, then, then you know, you're not going to get that business. So I think that's one side of it. I think the other side of it, which then is, you know, very, very crucial to make, making all of that happen, is, is, is actually the data and the information. If, if you go back to these Internet companies, I mean, if I, if I use Alibaba as an example, Alibaba is not interested uh, in the banking business. They are not in this in order to make money of the banking business, of the payment transaction, or, or anything like that. What they are very interested in is the information that that payments transaction gives them so that they can then use that information in order to be able to provide additional products and services that the customer requires. And whilst a lot of people might turn around and say, well, you know, this is not good news and it's bad and data privacy and all of this sort of stuff, mm-hmm. what most of the customers, particularly the younger customers, are looking for is exactly that, is, is to have a provider out there that really understands what they're looking for and come out with what they require, and that's how uh, you know, they're, become, they're becoming more and more successful. This is the, the other reason why Amazon is taking so much business away in the transaction banking space. They really are looking to meet a broader set of requirements rather than just the financial needs of the, of the, uh, of the customer. Thank you very much. I, Penny, go ahead, and I'm going to turn to you because I'm looking at your notes. But go ahead with your comment, please, and then I'm going to go in a new direction. Go ahead, Penny Cross. Oh, yeah, I was just going to say that, uh, that, that yeah, I agree. And personalization is becoming a, a really big theme among, um, you know, the bankers we talk to. They all want to make their, their offerings as, um, you know, informed, and they want to be sort of watching your transactions and, and giving making very informed, um, you know, suggestions and recommendations um, based on, like, your behavior over time, mm-hmm. you know, which, which could get into sort of a big brotherish data privacy issue. Sure. Um, but I but I also want to say I feel like in addition to the points that um that Lickett made that um especially if we're talking about the underbank, there's sort of a need for for outreach and communication and education, I would say. Like the FDIC did a survey of unbanked and underbanked households and more than half of people who don't use banks say it's because they don't have enough money, which really isn't true, but it's a perception that people have. Um, a third say that they don't like dealing with or don't trust banks. Um, another third say that account fees are too high or unpredictable, um, which, again, if you look at the, the, um, the, the check cashers and the pawn shops, the fees are much, much higher there. Um, and then they, they also cite ID credit or banking history problems, which, which probably is a legitimate thing. Um, but for a lot – and then they also cite inconvenient hours or locations, about 7%. Mm-hmm of the underbank don't um, bank because of that. But but all of these reasons are not quite, are, are, I think could be overcome if banks were a little bit better at kind of somehow being present in these communities, even if they're not, if, if they don't have a physical branch, but maybe speaking in the local, you know, schools and churches and, mm-hmm. you know, explaining to people what, what is available. There is mobile banking out there that you can use and, you don't have to go to these um, usurious um, alternatives that these people that are just ripping you off. Um, so that was just another factor. Thank yeah. you very much, Penny. Go ahead. Who's that? Yeah, this is Davor. I just wanted to add a comment around um, what Penny just made in terms of being present 
in the community where you're trying to do banking. We have a, uh, one of our customers in South Africa is doing exactly that. They've established a network of agents who are known merchants, for example, have a small shop, um, for example, and they're known in the community. And they become, in a way, spokespeople for the bank, and they literally onboard new customers into the banking system through the mobile device. And oftentimes, they're just sitting in a little gazebo, and they speak the local di- local dialect. They know, they know um, everybody there. And they're trusted, and that's how the bank essentially ended up um, bringing new customers into the system. But I also wanted to, I know we're on the topic of, of uh, underbanked and unbanked. What I also found interesting is that this particular bank in South Africa uses mobile money or financial inclusion not only to bring the customers into the, into the system, but also to cross-sell products. So apparently in South Africa, it is very um, common to buy funeral insurance because, you know, when you die, you don't want your family to be stuck with, you know, high debt to pay for your funeral. So what the bank is really doing is they're cross-selling funeral insurance to the customers Mm. that they just onboarded into the system. Wow, that's morbid. Well, it is, but I mean, you see from a bank's perspective, they are essentially cross-selling their products. So instead of just getting somebody who's going to open a prepaid stored value account, they're now selling additional uh, financial product because, as, as we all know, it's easier to sell a product to an existing customer than it is to acquire a brand new one. So sure. um, 85% of the people would essentially buy the insurance. Thank you. I, I want to move in a slightly different direction here. We've been talking about upside and bringing banking to the underbanked and the unbanked around the world. Very interesting comments. But, Penny, I'm looking at your notes. We're, we're getting low on time here. We have uh, nine minutes till the end of the show. Something here that I believe is a reality check that needs to be discussed. You say in your notes, digital channels provide expanded opportunities for cyber criminals to attack banks and their customers. Digital identity and authentication are a problem that need to be solved quickly or we're going to see a storm of security incidents. Is this going to be expanded and and literally blown up with all of these new banking efforts around the world, these billions and billions of new customers? Is there a a bigger, greater exposure risk of security threats through this, Penny? Well, it's inter- it's it's interesting, and thank you for bringing that up because it's something mm-hmm. I write about a lot. Um, mm-hmm. We've just had a tremendous amount of um, of uh, data theft and data breaches and identity theft in this country. About 900 million consumer records were stolen just in 2014. So. Uh, a lot of pe- most of us have had some aspects of our personal data stolen, whether it's like a card number and um, or a password. Um, so we we it's just become very very unstable. This idea of of our online identity, how we authenticate ourselves to the different websites that we visit, the different uh, mobile apps that we visit. Um, however, the upside is that. Um, when you're using a mobile device, there's also extra security measures that could be put into place. There's device identity whereby the, the service you're using actually pings your phone and makes sure that the phone is the same phone that you registered with mm-hmm. so that you can't, someone can't just steal your, uh, steal your identity and log in as you from a, a phone that's not yours. Um, and there's also things like geolocation where, you know, if you're um, – 
if your phone activity is all happening in New York and you and a banking transaction on your account takes place in London, um, mm-hmm. there might be a cross check happen that happens to make sure that that really was you. So so while there is um, there's definitely uh, more opportunity for cyber criminals these days, especially to um, to go into online banking and log in as somebody else, you know, and and transfer money out. Um, it's something that happens every day. Um, the banks are starting to get a little bit better at at addressing it. And you know, the first thing they do is analyze all your transactions to to make sure that there's nothing strange or um, yeah, uh, you know, potentially fraudulent about them. Um, but they're also starting to put in place these be- better um, technologies to help make sure that you really are who you say you are and not uh, some kind of cyber criminal. So it's a really interesting space. There's a lot happening right now. A little bit scary. Thank you for bringing that up, Penny. I'm, I'm glad you agreed it was a good point here. We're going to have to move to our predictions round in exactly two minutes, but I'm going to give Davor Ebling and Lickett Woggle a chance to respond to what Penny just brought up about the issue of cyber attacks on these new banking customers and their identities. Uh, Davor, any quick comments? Well, I mean, I, I really agree with Penny. I think mobile as a channel offers additional capabilities and uh, in terms of how do you authenticate through using a multi-factor authentication so or possibly pre-staging certain types of transactions uh, the perfect example would be let's say i want to do a transaction at the atm i can initiate that through my mobile banking app right uh, which means that i had to authenticate on my mobile device you should, okay it's either a password or maybe my device uh, uh, fingerprint capability then I had to log into my mobile banking app. Then I would request the withdrawal for a specific amount. Then I would get maybe through an SMS message on my registered mobile device code that I could input into the ATM, including uh, my pre-existing PIN. So just one example how mobile device can really help combat fraud. Um, but obviously there are many, many others, and I also believe wearables are going to play and biometrics are going to play a huge um, huge part of really improving the security of our banking transactions moving forward. Damber, I think you just gave me your prediction, so we can move ahead with the predictions for the other panelists. Thank you very much. I heard some forward-looking thoughts there. Uh, let's turn to Lickett Woggle at IBM's Global Business Services. Lickett, I'm going to ask you to fast-forward this conversation to the year 2020 or any future time you see clearly in the crystal ball and tell me what will be different. What would we be talking about at that future time in terms of digital banking, anything we've already discussed? Go ahead. Yes, I think, um, um, Bonnie, one one of the things that I certainly see happening is the demerger of the banking industry between, um, you know, the as it were, the, the the side of the banking industry that's responsible for distribution. That's that's actually the 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 side of the banking industry that's involved in engaging with customers, and the demerger of that aspect of banking from the more manufacturing side of the banking business that actually produces the products and services that you and I that you and I buy because when it comes to that distribution side which is all around uh, customer experience what i think the 
digital age is doing is that consumers are increasingly looking for the last great experience that they have had. So if they're used to iTunes or they're used to Uber, that's the quality of experience that they're looking for from their banks. Uh, Similarly, they're looking for instant gratification. So they don't want to be in that and apply for a loan product and then have to wait uh, for like three weeks before the thing gets approved. Also, if you go into wealth management, they're looking for really high-quality advice. And I don't think there are a lot of people who out there who would say, you know, I get really, really good quality advice from my financial advisor. So I think if you bring, if you bring all of those things together, I, I really do think that on the customer experience side, we're going to get banking businesses, which will involve a number of these financial startup companies, a number of the newer digital players who will be very focused on providing that high-quality experience and that high-quality experience which will be completely consistent across whichever channel that you use. So if you speak to a call center, the way in which they deal with you will be exactly the same as the high-quality of service that you go, you know, you get if you go and meet your relationship um, manager in the branch or if you, if you call that specific person, person up. So it will be a consistency of experience. But then on the other side, which is the manufacturing business, there I think the banking industry needs to operate very much like low-cost manufacturers, like technology companies, like consumer product companies, where it's going to be necessary to use economies of scale to make sure that those products and services are being produced at the lowest possible cost, because margins there, I think, are going to be you know, very, very fine because of the really high uh, competition. And I think if this starts to happen, then you know, it, is, it is going to have very serious implications for the more kind of traditional banks that we see today. So, so if you look at the future, so what would the future of somebody like a Wells Fargo or a Barclays Bank be within the context of that kind of environment where the front end and the back end of the industry actually splits up? Thank you very much. I want to say one minute for Penny Crossman for future-looking comments. Predictions, Penny, one minute, go. Okay, I think that we will be banking from our cars, we'll be banking Mm. from our watches. Um, I think, you know, wearables will be a thing. I don't know about our toasters and our refrigerators. I'm a little on the fence about that. I don't want my refrigerator talking to me. Um, But I think that, uh, I think as a couple people mentioned, those, those, it, it, I don't think it'll just be banks providing these services because already, we're, as we mentioned, we're getting these services from telecom companies and from um, uh, technology uh, companies. We're getting, you know, payment services from Apple. Um, we're, we, I, I think some of this will be, you know, uh, coming from different people. I think what it may end up uh, becoming is sort of a brand competition. There'll be certain brands that people really love, you know, and some of them might be some of the traditional ones, like like we talked about USAA. Um, you know, there's a few a few financial services companies out there that are beloved, but there will be other uh, more consumer friendly brands like maybe Amazon and PayPal that will um, grab more and more market share from some from the incumbents. Penny, thank you. We are out of time. I want to thank my extraordinary panel, Lickett Waggle at IBM, Penny Crossman at Bank Tech News and Bank Technology News and American Banker and Davor Ebling at SAP. Thank you to Anya Reschke for some tweets today. Appreciate that. And Matt Small and Birgit Dolny, thanks for putting together the panel. Brad and the Business Channel team at World Talk Radio. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I'll be back tomorrow at 11 a.m. Eastern with another live edition of our flagship show, Coffee Break with Game Changers. The topic will be social business, creating measurable business value. You're going to want to hear that one. Great panel as well. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt.
wherever you're banking, whatever you're doing, whatever you're drinking, right, Penny? What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another edition of Game Changers Radio. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Industry Cloud Trends with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.